Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and Armchair Media, Season 4, Texas State Week. The Eagles kicked off the halftime era in style notching a convincing 26-6 road victory versus Duke to start off what could be a season to remember. The D looked for real, Phil Dracovich lived up to his five-star billing, and, at the risk of wildly overreacting to one game, BC just might have a future Hall of Fame coach strolling the sidelines. On today's episode, we'll recap the statement win over the Blue Devils, award our official Dudes of the Week, and preview the Bobcats of Texas State that come to town for the home opener this Saturday. Man, I, I don't think we're overreacting at all. Like, this team is is good. This team is really good. Underreacting, if anything. If anything, we're underreacting. This is, this is, I think, one of the best football teams I've ever seen in my life. I think you guys can, like, legitimately end the episode now. The team is good. That's the bottom line. We're going to say that about 100 times. That's the thesis, the title, everything you need to know. Halfley is the truth. The defense is back from the dead. Jericho's the real deal. I, in all seriousness, think we have a very legitimate shot at the ACC. I honestly still can't believe what we saw on Saturday, but it blew all of my expectations out of the water. Um, Please don't actually stop listening because we have a great show for you today to wrap up Duke and look ahead to Texas State. Uh, But before we get to everything, a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures now. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. Matt, I don't even know where you want to begin, but that was the most fun I've had watching a BC football game in a, in a very long time. And I think my hopes have never been higher for what this team can achieve this year. Totally agree with you, Matt. And just, just to back it up, is, is Bet Online, are they still in business? Because they must have gotten absolutely taken to the to the woodshed on Saturday, uh, allowing six money. Uh, what, plus six for BC? Plus six. And by the way, on that note, BC, shout out to BC's Twitter. Like they went super viral, basically being the only team ever to acknowledge the spread with their plus six LOL post. Everyone picked it up. Darren Ravel was all over it. Changing of the times in the sports gambling world in general, which is, I think, another point entirely. But I love uh, BC going viral for all the right reasons. It was too easy to bet the money line. It's great to, to get everyone started with a W to, to kick off college football gambling season. Um, but you're right, Matt. What what a Saturday it was. It was it was you know a real roller coaster of emotions. It was one of those where even though it was a three score game by the fourth quarter, it was not a stress free Saturday by any stretch of the imagination. 
So, so we'll just jump right into the game. You guys all saw it. We'll just do a quick recap here. So the first drive, things are looking great, right? We're cooking with gas. Bailey had a nice run. He caught that screen pass. And then, uh, you know, Zay had that slant over the middle. We were able to punch it in. So we're off to a quick 7 nothing start, right? And Matt, I'll say this. The offensive line, and this is going to be, uh, this is going to come up later. The offensive line looked incredible during that first drive, especially on that, uh, that Jerkovich QB sneak to, to keep the drive going on fourth down, which, which ended up setting up that Bailey touchdown. If you just watched that first drive, I, I would have thought we would have put up 60 on him. Uh, yeah, no, I, I completely, completely agree. I think this was everything that we kind of wanted the offense to be. We'll get to missing some of our weapons in a bit, but and we'll dive in on Zay more in detail in a bit. But this was everything we could have possibly expected. Electric plays, the line looking dominant, the run game, keeping the pass game honest and vice versa. And Jerko looked like a real quarterback and, and had some real weapons to play with. So that was, yeah, that was a picture perfect start. Yeah, and, and things would slow down from that. Before we talk about the offense, though, the, the defense was pretty good early as well. They, they had a couple early three and outs. And, you know, even when Duke started to move the chains, it was it was under duress, right? The uh, the BC pass rush looked a lot better. They were extremely active getting into the backfield. Um, the secondary always seemed very well positioned. They were trying to keep everything in front of them, which it's a nice change for what we saw last year. They did break that big run towards the end of the first quarter for a touchdown, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a sec. But after that, there was really nothing doing for either team offensively for the rest of the first half. So um, it was a 7-6 game, game at halftime, which was hard to believe because if it wasn't for the BC defense forcing those turnovers early on, it could have easily been 21-7 in Duke's favor. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree. It, it felt, I, I, I want to make sure we avoid any comparisons to the Virginia Tech win last year because in a lot of ways on paper, I think there, there are some similarities uh, whereas there were a lot of turnovers, I think it was a similar number of turnovers, if not the exact same number, that didn't completely swing the game in our favor. But without those, it's a completely different ball game. That said, I think this defense just looked, you know, significantly more dominant rather than just a couple things kind of going the right way. And I know turnovers are are heavily luck normally, but to me, this really did seem like a, a team making great plays. You know, they, they weren't easy turnovers. They weren't just, you know, dropping the ball. People were, were going after it. They were in the right spot. So I really feel like this is not just luck. This is good coaching, good positioning, good players making the right plays. So I want to make sure that we completely avoid any parallels to Matt's favorite defense of all time, which was, of course, as we all know, the 2019 Virginia Tech uh, or BC defense against Virginia Tech. Hey, Matt, you're, you're foreshadowing my half fall because uh, there's sure. going to be another defense coming up that is going to be another one of my favorites. So uh, oh, stay tuned okay. for that. Great. Um, but, but like you were saying, I mean, the offense really couldn't get much going in, in, in the second quarter. And a lot of that was probably attributable to the, the line play. It seemed like they had a, Duke had a thousand sacks, especially there was there was one D end in, in particular that I think had three or four on his own. And a lot of those were early. So you know, the, the easy reaction and, you know, we're guilty of, of overreacting at halftime there, but, but it was basically like, what, what is going on with the offensive line? I thought these guys were, were some of the best in the country. Why did the coaching staff mess around with, uh, you know, why did they move guys around? Obviously it's not working, et cetera, et cetera. But the offense comes out in the second half. The, the Josh, Josh uh, DeBerry makes one of the plays of the year with, with that midair strip interception, whatever you want to call it. That sets up a field goal. So we go up 10 to six and then all of a sudden, the offense just explodes. It turns into uh, the Hunter Long and Zay Flowers show. Duke loads the box. Jerkovich, you know, lives up to, to his name and 
um, starts slinging the ball around the field. And, you know, they're, they're, they're Duke, Duke decides to opt for one-on-one coverage downfield. And, you know, Long and, and Flowers just make big catch after big catch. And all of a sudden, just like that, we're up 23 to 6. Yeah, that to Barry interception, I think, is definitely worth uh, discussing. That was one of the most remarkable defensive plays I've ever seen from anyone on the BC defense. And frankly, in college football, I mean, that was just a dominant guy's going up. He had the ball clearly caught and he just tore it out of his hands. I don't know. It was, so officially, I guess that would be an interception, right? Rather than a fumble because it never touched the ground, uh, but absolutely phenomenal. And frankly, a game changer. I do think our offense would have broken out regardless. And I'm sure the defense would have got them off the field, but kind of that, that spark uh, to the entire second half momentum. Uh, and I do, you mentioned, you know, Hunter Long a couple of times. This guy is, is the best tight end in college, I think by far could legitimately play on Sunday next week. He, he's an absolute specimen. That one-handed catch while he was getting dragged down by the defensive back was amazing. His ability to get open in, in you know, on the, on the Jerko scramble to long, uh, his ability to kind of get open and, and keep that play alive was, was special. I think that this, the, the weapons, and we knew we were going to have the, the, the faster weapons in the Zay and the Jalen Gill to have Long, and we knew I think Long would be reliable, but I don't think any of us expected him to be as dominant as he looked. I mean, this is going to make this offense very difficult to stop, especially when you factor in the run game and especially when we figure the offensive line will, will work out those kinks. Yeah, 100%. There was so much hype built up about Hunter Long and Zay Flowers coming into the season that you know, it was one of those where you weren't sure if they were going to be able to back it up, but yeah, they're pretty much doing exactly what they're doing in camp, which which you love to see against all things considered. It's, you know, one of the better defenses I think will play. I know it's Duke, but, you know, they were solid on the defensive side of the ball. You saw what they did against Notre Dame. They, they yep. you know, bottled them up for most of the game. So, I've, yeah, I, mean, I, want, I want to I double down on that because Duke is a quality team, and I want to make sure we're very clear about that. I think that, again, historically we've talked about it. You and I have our problems keeping our, keeping our expectations in check, but that's normally after a dominant win against, you know, a bad or, or kind of lower level program. Duke is a good team. They just flat out are. So the, the performance we showed, I think that we are fully justified in saying that this team is really good and is going to be a problem for the rest of the conference coming up throughout the rest of the year. 1,000%. And, and just to finish it off, the, the, the Eagles defense really played flawlessly. It was, it was sort of a bend but don't break. Um, and whenever Duke approached the red zone, red zone they always seemed to step up with, with either a big stop or a turnover. And, and like you were saying, I, I mean, it has to be the only time in, in the history of the world, and we'll, we'll get our fourth and dude stats department on this, the only time in the world where a team has forced back-to-back five turnover games in the in the season opener. I mean, it's just absolutely wild. And I don't know where I left off, but but all of a sudden we're up 23-6. The, the running game ices it in the fourth with like some nine-minute drive, something crazy like that. Halfway gets the Gatorade bath, and we're out of there with a big-time ACC road W. The other thing, too, Matt, and I think that historically, and maybe this is just kind of our, our general mindset as BC fans, but even when we built up a, a two, three-score lead, it still felt a little bit uncomfortable. It still felt like that the other team had the ability to come back. I, I was exceedingly comfortable, really, all afternoon. The second we got, uh, I would say, you know, whatever, when we went up, I guess, 17 to 6. When we got within 11, I was like, this this game's over. Um, I thought Duke showed absolutely no signs of life against our defense. And I also, frankly, thought that if they did, say, mount back-to-back touchdown drives or you know, we threw a pick six or something like that. I had full confidence in our offense to be able to storm down the field and, and get it back, which is a really unique feeling. I don't know if that's just kind of a changing of the guard, maybe just kind of the, the you know, new coaching staff has, has injected some, some life into this fan base. But overall, again, I can't say enough good things and, and how just fun that was to watch, really, I guess, outside of the second quarter, which was just kind of a, a general drag. Yeah, it's, it's probably the first time, and, and we'll just get into the segments here. Matt, my half full is the defensive, is the play of the defensive unit. Um, yep. And it's probably the first time, this is very high praise, it's probably the first time 
that I've been this impressed with the defense, not counting last year's Virginia Tech game since the since the Don Brown era. You know, since since what was it 2015? You can't say enough good things about this unit across the board. You had Valdez and, and our guy Boozy. I love that guy. I didn't know that was his nickname until uh, the announcer said it. And we have a guy named Boozy on our team. I mean, that's that's, that's our huge. Guy right that's there. just absolutely humongous. Yep. They were all over the, especially Valdez. Um, more on him in a second. But they they were making plays left and right all day. You had Sax Richardson and Isaiah McStuffie that were, that were up to their old tricks. There were two men in the in the secondary. We touched on DeBerry, Deion Jones. Uh, forced the fumble and then also recovered it. Uh, Matry w- was was in on every tackle. It seemed like Muse had that big interception to ice it in the fourth. Uh, everyone was just ball hawking and making plays and well positioned. And, and the result of that was was no big plays except for that run uh, allowed uh, to Duke. And, and Matt, I'm going to go ahead and say it: this defense is going to be my favorite defense in BC history. Me. Yep, I, I mean I I could not agree more with that with that assessment. I really do think that. You know, we knew Halfley was going to come in and be a good defensive coach, not only a good defensive kind of talent developer, but also a schemer. And I think he has absolutely blown away expectations, especially where you saw where this defense was last year. Obviously, we all knew they were going to get better. These were talented kids and they were, you know, young and and they needed some time to mature. But what he was able to do and, and get out of this defense, especially when you consider the severely unique, shortened, whatever you want to call it, offseason. You know, he didn't have a full spring. He didn't have a full summer with these guys the way you normally would. It's kind of scary to think. If I'm, a, if I'm another ACC school, I'm terrified of, of thinking what this guy can do with, you know, not only his own players, but a full calendar year to work with these guys. Um, excellent job. And, and obviously got to give give props to Coach AAR as well um, because the defensive backs in general looked absolutely amazing. Matt, I'll, I'll switch to the other side of the ball for my first half full. I've got like 100 um, but Zay Flowers is a legitimate Heisman candidate. He is a true wide receiver. I love that he tossed a little shade to your guy, Daz, on the uh, end around comment in the post game. He said something like, it's so fun to actually be able to run routes and, and show people I'm a wide receiver rather than just a, an end around specialist. So I love to see that. Clearly, there's a, a different feel in the locker room. And he is just an absolute freak of nature when it comes to his speed and his agility. That juke he had that's been all over the internet was was excellent. So He's going to be so much fun to watch this year, and I, I tr- legitimately think he can be one of the best players in college football, almost like a Rondell Moore type from Purdue a couple years ago. I'll go half empty, though, on the wide receiver front. Found out today officially that Kobe is out for the year, which just absolutely stinks, obviously, for him as a, as a person and a player. I think he was poised for a huge year, especially with a great you know QB under center finally. But I think that we said it earlier today, but clearly with Jerko's, you know, remaining eligibility and now Kobe's remaining eligibility. Clearly, this isn't, you know, the end of his story at BC. And I think he's going to come back bigger and better than ever, but definitely hurts. So need to mention it from the uh, half-empty perspective. Yeah, silver lining is that, uh, you know, this offense is still coming together and still gelling. You know, think of where, and people forget this. We have Phil Djurkovic for the next, this year doesn't count, right? We have for the next four years, I think. He's, he's a I think sophomore. three, but yeah, I think he's got three full years after this. That, that could yeah, be wrong. Yeah, that's, that's four, four, I'm counting that as four okay. years. So, I mean, just think of, think of the opportunity Kobe is going to have. Hopefully it comes back even better than ever. Um, I'm not a doctor, but I know several doctors. And I believe what happens when you tear your ACL is that they rebuild it and it's even stronger than it was the first time around. So that bodes well for a guy that's already elite. So, you know, they can work out the kicks and we'll just have so many weapons next year. We already have so many weapons this year. It's kind of the first time in BC history that we've been deep enough at the wideout position. Last year, this would have been this would have been a lethal blow. And that would have been the end of the season if Kobe was out. But uh um, it's obviously we, we have long, we have we have Zay. We do need another guy to step up, whether it's uh, you know Ethan Williams or, or uh, uh, 
CJ Lewis, whoever you want to name, Jalen Gill, hopefully. One of those guys needs to step up and, and be the third go-to option. So, so more to watch on that. I think Jalen Gill is, is definitely ripe for that. I know we didn't see a ton from him on Saturday, but just from purely a talent perspective. He did a touchdown there, I called back, right? Yeah, but in, I mean, I think clearly Zay was was 100% the future, feature, and I didn't necessarily expect that coming in. I thought that... You know, even if you told me Kobe was out, I still would have thought they were kind of 50-50 from the wide receiver mm-hmm. perspective. So, um, getting him fully into the into the into the you know play calling into the lineup will be will be absolutely huge. But I mean, yeah, I, I can't say enough enough good things. Speaking of the receivers, let's talk about the guy that's getting him the football. This probably mm-hmm. should have been the headliner here, right, Matt? Uh, yes, yeah, go, Going back to the half full, Phil Jerkovic, and I know I was on the Denny Grissel hype train. But Phil Djokovic, turns out he is the real deal. He is as good as advertised and beyond. You know, he had sort of a quiet first half. He, he had, uh, you know, on that first touchdown drive, he hit Zay pretty early on that slant. And then didn't do an awful lot. He did throw that interception. But, Matt, it was like a good-looking interception. It was kind of like, you know, Michael Jordan in Space Jam when he strikes like, out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That he, was, it was, he, it was a good-looking good. interception. He looked good yeah. on that interception. I mean, it was still a good – it was a good deep ball. Obviously, threw it into double coverage. But I'll take that, by the way. It was also like 50 yards down the field. So it's essentially a punt. Exactly. No problem. The, the ones you got to avoid are the ones in the flat or, or kind of the ones that are they're going to, you know, result in points. If those are the interceptions we're going to get out of him, great. All day long, I'll take it. Right. Uh, and then after everyone freaked out at halftime, Signetti sort of took the training wheels off uh, in the second half. And, and Jericho's second half stats are sort of bananas. He went 11 for 12, 210 yards, two touchdowns, really three touchdowns. One got called back, no picks. And, you know, like we said, it does help when Hunter Long's making those Odell Beckham one-handed catches. And, you know, Zay is breaking, you know, he, he's getting yak after yak. He's breaking ankles. And he left that one corner in a different zip code on that on that double move. But, but what a bazooka that Jericho has. That, I think you were touching on earlier, Matt. That one throw in particular to, to Long where he's sidestepping a sack and mm-hmm. basically throws a fadeaway 40 yards downfield with pinpoint accuracy. I mean, yep. he's just he's everything the recruiting ranking said he would be, and it's just exciting. We're gonna, he's not a quarterback this year, but also next year, the year after, and beyond. Yep. And, I mean, that's just huge. Just th- things, things are going to change around here. You know, We're officially potentially back to being quarterback you. And, Matt, one, one quick note on Grissel, then I'll shut up. When they panned to the sidelines after one of our touchdowns, Grissel was jumping up and down with everyone That's else. That's exactly I mean, he's, what he's you're leading the for. hype train. So uh, can't say enough good things. It says a lot about this team, a lot about Grissel, and a lot of where we're, where we're headed this year, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and Sylvia said this in the offseason, but the one thing he was really excited about with Jerko was, was his legs. And he said basically he expects, you know, obviously everyone talks about his arm and how strong his arm is, but this guy's got legs and he has the ability to keep plays alive. And I think we saw that on perfect display during that uh, long touchdown. Again, that looked like at best case we'd get, you know, maybe a couple yards out of it on a little bit of a scramble, but he was able to keep his eyes downfield, which is really hard, really, really, really hard for a quarterback to do when he's got four guys on him. He was able to keep his eyes downfield. And it's not like Long was, you know, wide open by any means. Like it was it was still a good throw into a tight area and he made the play. So that was just an excellent college football play. Um, and I really expect a lot more out of that in the future. Matt, I, I think that we need to get – we'll go back to half empty here. I, I know you want to talk about this, but I do think we need to talk about the O-line shakeup. I think that was definitely the most disappointing uh, unit on Saturday, and we know how good this unit can be, the individual players. We know how how incredibly talented every single person on that offensive line is and how good they were last year. So I just don't really we, – we mentioned this you know in the preview pod, but like I just didn't – see the need to shake up what was a perfect unit. They were really the only ones who regressed from last year. So definitely a bit of a head scratcher there. I will say I have full confidence just based on the talent alone in that room that 
I mean, they'll be able to figure it out basically tomorrow, but I just don't really get what the point of that that shuffle was. And clearly it's not like it paid, you know, immediate dividends. Yeah, no question. And, you know, let's give Duke a little bit of credit. Those DNs are NFL quality, right? But giving up six sacks is, uh, I don't think anyone saw that coming. That's already half of the total they gave up last year. I think it was 13 last year. So, um, you know, obviously we had high expectations and they didn't look bad. They just, they looked mortal, right? And that first right. half was right. tough. I do think they pulled it together pretty well in the second half and they made some, some key adjustments there. And I think, you know, Halfley probably had something to do with that, saying, hey, guys, we got to do something else, whether it's, you know, have, having a guy block in the backfield. You know, I saw the running backs pick up a couple, a couple good blocks. But, you know, in, in the run game as well, I mean, it, and it goes hand in hand, we couldn't really get the run game going either. We only had 84 total rushing yards. And, and you know, if you had told me at the beginning of that game that Duke was going to outrush us by 50 yards, I would tell you we, we're probably going to lose by 50, right? But, you know, I, I do think that's more the result of, of Duke selling out and sending the house and, and you know, really playing for the run. So I'm not going to read a lot into that. I do think they'll, they'll certainly turn around against Texas State. And then, uh, you know, when we play, you know, less elite defenses, uh, you know, I think Baylor would have his way, especially when defenses see, you know, they watch the film and they see Hunter Long and Zay Flowers, you know, they're going to drop guys back because guys, can't, you, can't, you can't cover them one-on-one downfield. You just can't do it. So I do, I do think Baylor will start seeing some holes, the O-line, whether we switch back to how it was. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you make that call. I'm not an offensive line guy, but, uh, you know, they, should, they hopefully can, can make whatever adjustments they need to against Texas State and, and be well, well prepared for the uh, – you know, sort of the core of the season that comes up uh, right after that. Here's a legitimate question that I, I don't think enough people are asking, but do you think you're you're actually a curse when it comes to BC and their and their different units? Again, I, I hate to continue to bring this up, and I'm, I know I'm beating a dead horse, but last year when you heaped massive praise on the defense in week one, and it turned out to be one of the worst defenses in BC history, this week after that opening drive, you said something about, you know, I, this is the best offensive line in Boston, mm-hmm. in O-line U history, yep. and then yep. the rest of the game, they, they you know, got their, got their lunch handed to them. Mm-hmm. At what point do you look in the mirror and say that, that you might be kind of the underlying theme here? It's a fair point, Matt, and don't look now, but if you recall from last episode, who was my uh, breakout dude of the year? I'm going to need help on that one. Kobe. I wish okay. you listened when I talked, Matt. It was yeah, I, I mean, I forget. We, we talk about a lot. Yikes, though. That's bad. Yeah, I, that's I'm not pretty good, much the Madden curse uh, in podcast. When did that, form. by the way, when did that injury, do we know when this injury happened? I mean, it must have been late in the week during practice, right? Yeah, I think I it mean, was, yeah, probably a week, 10 days ago. Because um, Halfley was pretty coy about it late mm-hmm. last week, I think. But he, he gave a presser earlier this week where he pretty much said uh, Kobe knew what was going on by Thursday or Friday last week. So it probably gotcha. happened uh, you know, early on last week, unfortunately. Yeah. I think that uh, I think that makes sense. I've got a couple more half full, half empties. I don't know what what you have on your uh, to do on, on your plate here. Sure, yeah, I do want to get into the coaching a little bit, um, and this is going to be both half full and half empty. Uh, the half empty, I wasn't overly impressed with the with the offensive play calling in the first half, um, and I don't want to point fingers, but but that's Frank Signetti, um, and I do get it. He was trying to ease jerk go into it and and really you know establish the run to try to set up all those deep balls in the second half. So. I can't be that mad at him, but there was just a couple head scratchers. There was that fourth down where we threw a, a screen and someone missed a block, and you know we, we turned the ball over there to, to we're trying to get a screen going to Garlow. I don't know, but I don't know. Keeping it simple, I do think resulted in that explosive second half. So what do I know? That's kind of a you know, a half empty, but I don't really mean it. And then and then talking half full here, Matt. I mean, Coach Jeff Halfley and halftime adjustments. I mean, you want to talk about night and day. Uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, which I know is not necessarily his wheelhouse, but whatever happened at halftime, that offense immediately clicked. And we'll give we'll give half all, all the credit in the world. But you know, like we said last episode, 
we are not used to seeing in-game adjustments from Boston College football coaches. It's been a long time since we've seen that, where we've actually played better in the second half as opposed to the other way around when the other coach you know, schemes against us and figures out that we're just going to run it down there throughout the whole day. Whatever he did at halftime, or you know, really throughout the game, obviously worked, and I just can't say enough good things about about half. And obviously, he's just a genius, and <laughs> I, I like having that guy strolling the sidelines. And it's it's nothing like we're we're used to as BC fans. Yeah, th- I, I could not agree more. Again, it was just such a fun game to watch for so many reasons. I want to take it off the field quickly for my next half full, half empty. I do want to talk about halfly hour and then putting halfly hour in the half full. So for those of you who tuned in, obviously appreciated all the eyeballs. Uh, we set up our first ever edition of Halfly Hour, which is our 30-minute pregame show with Matt and I, as well as Sylvia called in, um, just kind of getting ready for game day, but with the BC focus. I think there were a couple IT hiccups, but overall a lot of fun. I think there was some really solid analysis, and I think it will only get better as the as the week goes on. And you got you know got to finally see our our faces, kind of. I had stupid glasses on, but that's something that we're going to figure out throughout the, re- throughout the rest of the year. For those that made it through, the, I think the first two minutes of dead air, yeah, right. uh, where Matt might have dropped an F-bomb, might not. I did, like in the first five seconds. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened. It's I supposed really to be a, panicked. It's supposed to be a family show. Uh, yep. But after that, it did get better. So, uh, so excited to keep that going uh, next week and be on there. And then if we can turn that immediately into half empty, Matt, our attempt at a halftime live show could not have possibly gone worse. And I already fired the IT guy who, you know, who, who couldn't get the job done. But that was, and I, I mostly blame Twitter and Twitter's live, live function. I've obviously never gone live on Twitter before. Instagram live is clearly, I think, a better platform, but I, we're too old. Like we don't understand Instagram at our age. Uh, so I, I don't know what else to say there, but if you tried to watch, I appreciate it. And I don't even, I can't even promise that it will get better. I, think I don't think we'll try again. I don't dead. think we'll try. Yeah, think it was that, it was yep. that scarring. Um, yep. You couldn't even get close to on. Sylvia Correct. was cutting in and out. Um, I was just staring at the camera with nothing else to say beyond what I already said. It was it was sort of reminiscent of when Dewey's tries to stream games that are on ESPN3. Exactly. Yep. It, that's kind of how the production value felt there. So apologies to everyone. Um, we'll, uh, we'll stick to what we know, and that's podcasts, and that's about it going forward. I mean, it is. Like, why do we try to get out of our comfort zone? We had a that. good thing going. We had a good thing going. Tell you what. All right. So... Let's uh, let's keep moving here. I want to I want to roll into due to the week. Oh, Matt, one more half empty real quick. Yeah, this sure. is super empty. Uh, all of Notre Dame got COVID. Brian Kelly's a moron. He can't t- keep his team healthy. College Game Day should be ashamed for their you know thank you Notre Dame for saving football video that they released you know, last week. These guys are single handedly going to ruin college football. Now you have to worry about USF, who they played last week. Even theoretically, could worry about Duke, although I assume that hopefully you would think you're far enough gone and that Duke's been taking it seriously on a testing front. But these guys are just the worst. Yet in, uh, you know, yet again, week in, week out, Brian Kelly with his whole no more Mr. Nice Guy speech or whatever. Why don't you worry about controlling your own house first and then you can talk about you know everything else. So I hate these guys so much and it's, it's sad to see that they're going to be the ones to ruin college football. Matt, it's well said. You're not going to get a disagreement out of me there. Uh, my dude of the week this week it has to be Marcus Valdez, certified public set accountant. Uh, he, he just made some enormous plays, especially early on. He, he looks like he's really slimmed down, and he has this really dangerously quick first step now, which we didn't necessarily see last year as much. That sack where he chased down Bryce and, and grabbed him by the ankles for that 10-yard loss was just a crazy athletic play. and uh, You can just tell. He's, he's got a high motor. He's relentless. He sets the tone for the defense, and Matt, I don't want to overreact here, but he might be the pass rusher. He might be the best pass rusher we've seen since Harold Landry. He's very much built in that mold. If he keeps it going, 
Uh, I like him. I'm just getting some Harold Landry 2016 vibes. Okay. I, I like that. And we'll do it. I'm going to splice in a quick Eagles in the wild here because some Eagles balled out on Saturday. Mostly, I mean, Harold Landry had that amazing tip pick. KPL had 15 tackles, which is just an insane amount of tackles in Washington. I think Simmons or Yadam, I think it was Simmons. One of them had a pick uh, against the Steelers. Simmons, so yeah. love to see that. And then Matt Ryan looked awesome on offense, and the Falcons blew yet again another humongous lead. And I just feel so sad for Matt Ryan. He's just so much better than this. He deserves better. They continue to I, find I, just new ways to lose. I've never seen. I, I have nothing to before. add. I really, yeah, I have nothing to add. Um, my dude of the week, and that's a segment that we need to change. Like, dude, again, we, we you know, dude's not a swear word. It's not something completely, but it's just like we got to figure something out for that. But my. Dude of the week, new name pending. Matt, a lot of guys to choose from here. We got Jerko with just an unbelievable unbelievable performance. Long looking like the new Gronk. McStuffy is back. Uh, Zay is again going to win the Heisman. But I have to go where it all starts, and that is with Halfley. I, I just can't say enough good things about this guy. Excellent game plan. Excellent halftime adjustments. His team clearly absolutely loves him. That's been the most like evident fact of college football so far. Love, as a fellow crier myself, I love how emotionally he got after the game. That was an iconic moment that we'll never forget with, I think, what do we think it was? was it's, it, it's, uh, Matt, it's the funniest. It's not not funny. That's not even the right word, but it's the most satisfying it's, it's video. Perfect I, I watch timing it, on everything. Right? I watch it 10 times a day. So I called yep. it Mumford and, and Sons. It's not. Someone uh, commented that it's actually, uh, shoot. It's like One Republic? One Republic, right. Yep, there it is. Yep, it's all the same. Uh, but that, that's, I just, it's so apparent that he's such a great guy, a great coach, how much his guys love him. And I, I really do think that we're, we're super lucky. And, you know, the only five of them pivot this back to, to half empty. I'm just like terrified that if I'm any blue blood program, Michigan, Ohio state, I mean, I want this guy and I'll pay him $15 million to come coach for us. So I just hope that we get a solid, like three years out of him. And at that point, we'll probably have won a couple ACC championships, but this guy is, is an absolute rock star in the college football uh, profession. It's, it's so funny. I mean, obviously you know, we've said it last week, but you know, he had such a perfect off season, right? And he's, you know, the most popular guy, most popular high we, we've had here in a long time since Coughlin probably. And, um, but we, you, you never know how that's going to show up on the field. And not only did they show up, I mean, to turn around this defense, and we just talked about it, but what he did, you can't, you can't understand enough. I mean, what the circumstances that he dealt with, to only hold Duke to six on the road, and the six, by the way, were, were a fluke. I mean, that could have easily been a shutout. Anyway, the fact that, you know, he, it's just a testament to what they did all offseason. And, you know, the, the best part of this is how much better it's going to get. His presser a couple days ago, you could see he was like, he was pissed off at the game. He was like, "We, we what are you talking about? We played awful. There's so many better things we can do. Zay? Zay played like shit. We, Zay can play so much better than that. Are you kidding me? And he went down the list. He was like, guys, we're going to get better. I, I, I showed these guys all the mistakes they made in film. And not in like a mean way. In like a, he just wants to be perfect type of way. And he's not He's just not going to stop until we get there. So the fact that we played that well in, the, in game one and how much better it can go from here, uh, it's exciting. And you're exactly right, Matt, that we're on a, a trajectory right now that we might lose him within a year to, uh, to Michigan or you name it. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly, I think, the, the only possible downside I can really take out of what we what we saw on Saturday. Matt, you got anything else on Duke? Or are you ready to move it on to the Bobcats? No, I, I think that covers it. I mean, I think the takeaway with Duke is, is it's game one. Anything can happen. We love saying that. Anything can happen in the opener. And you can't count on five turnovers every game. But this, it just feels different this year. It feels like a team that can do some damage and... 
I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but you know, with COVID, with the wiping out of the divisions, Clemson's still Clemson, but all you got to mm-hmm. do is come in second place and you're playing in the ACC championship game. That's and Notre Dame might not be playing anymore. So That's that right. knocks off another top competitor, even though like th- this is, I think they would be somewhat relieved if they're like, oh, we don't have to play BC in November now. We don't have to play Jerkovich. Like, I think that after they saw that performance, I can understand them wanted to shut down for the season. Uh, Matt, before we get into Texas State, another quick reminder from our friends at Bet Online. Even though you're not at a game this year, you can still get in on all the action at Bet Online. They're going the extra mile to make sure you can play everything you need from game spreads and totals to team player coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on win, division, championship futures, all of it. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sports experts. And Matt, 2020, as we all know, has been the year of things happening that are completely out of our control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's keeping yourself looking sleek and clean. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, Matt, which we know that you love, is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released the Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. The Shears 2.0 nail kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. Matt, on their website, get this, you'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer or fall now uh, swamp ass. With natural hydrators and antioxidants, you'll also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's like having cologne designed for your balls. Matt, we won't even judge you if we catch you sniffing yourself. That's officially the tagline there. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code armchair. It is 2020. Time to grab it by the horns, and you can start by shaving your trunk Matt, anything to add before we get right into it? I think you covered it, Matt. I, I have nothing to add this week. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. We got Texas State. Let's just get we right do. into it. Yeah, Matt, we do. I'll tell you what we do have Texas State. Well, what just, do you have? What, how do you want to start it? I don't know, Matt. Where do you want to start it? Because I'll tell you what with Texas State. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, you don't have to worry about Texas State this year. This is going to be a free W, especially the way we looked last week. And I'll just say this, Matt. I'm worried. Okay? We'll get to the prediction. Okay. We'll get to all that. Um, but I'm officially worried about Texas State, and uh, let's just get right into it. So Texas State is somewhere in Texas. I think they're outside of Austin somewhere. Uh, they're in San could Marcos. Could be outside of Dallas. Could be outside of San Antonio. Well, I looked up. They're, could they're, be outside of Houston. It could be. Those are all names of, of cities okay. in Texas. It's yep. it's about 30 minutes south of Austin, Matt. Yep. And it's about an hour north of San Antonio. So I don't really know how Texas works, but that's those are the cities that surround it. Um, they've changed their name like a hundred times. They used to be called Southwest, Southwest Texas State. Um, actually, they were initially called the Southwest Texas State Normal School, which is an interesting name. It's, it's a tough know, name. I don't know they why they're doing a new marketing there. department, I think. Or I guess they got one because clearly Texas State's a little better than that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they threw the normal in there. Like I, I assume <laughs> you're a normal school, but now I'm kind of suspicious. So <laughs> what are you hiding, right? Exactly. I, I hear you. Exactly. That's interesting. All right. Um, so they're in the Sun Belt. They joined the, uh, the FBS in 2012. They've been bad. They've been consistently around the, the two to three win mark 
uh, the past few seasons. Matt, before we get to football, do you have your your top five plus six man famous alumni ready to go? I do, Matt. So we haven't played Texas State before. Again, everyone knows the rules. If it's the first time we play an opponent on this show, uh, we do the top five plus six man notable alumni. Matt, I'll say for Texas State, my hopes were insanely low. Um, they definitely overachieved. I'll just I'll just say that much. I'll start again. You know the rule here. If you have a president, we have to start with that. Lyndon Baines Johnson, Big Tex himself, is a Texas State grad. Or I, I don't know, again, what their name was at the time. Maybe he's just a normal school grad. Uh, but they officially claim LBJ. Yeah, and Matt, I'm surprised you didn't mention that uh, NASA, uh, the Houston Space Center, is named for Lyndon B. Johnson. That's shocking you didn't mention that, and I did. Yeah, I, mean, I was honestly surprised. I figured because of their, I didn't know that fact. I'll be, I'll just, I'll own that one. Uh, but I did figure with their proximity to Houston that they would have an astronaut, and they don't. So there you go. I, I mean, I, to be fair, it's not like I don't think the strongest academic school, and I feel like you have to be smart to be an astronaut. But right. that would just be my kind of prediction. That's good analysis there, uh, yep. Matt. Uh, with the two pick, I'm going to go George Strait. He is the king of country. That's a great get for Texas State. Um, it's just, there's nothing better than, than cranking a little George and, um, you know, he's got a catalog of about 30, just absolute bangers, classic instant classics with George Strait. Uh, so that's a great get for them. King of, King of country is a uh, Texas state Bobcat. Um, and the three hole mat, I'm going to go with, uh, let's see, who do you have here? Spurgeon Wynn. I don't know if he was okay. on your list or not. Um, he was drafted by the Browns in 2000 in the sixth round, 16 picks ahead of, uh, uh, Mr. Thomas Brady. So he's Interesting. part. He is part of the Brady Six. So that is why. Was he, he a quarterback? Notable. He is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Interesting. Uh, I'll keep it on the athletics side of things. Matt, they have Carson Smith. I-, I was convinced that Carson Smith was going to be one of the best relievers in Red Sox history. If you remember, he came over to the Sox. I want to say in like 2016 ish, about three or four years ago. He had a very solid showing in the 2017 ALDS against the Houston Astros, the team that would go on to win the World Series that year. I think he had like two or three innings, uh, nowhere in run, something like that. Then the following season, he was out for the year early on when he threw his glove in the dugout after giving up, I want to say, get who he gave the home run up to. Um, but it, he was out for the season and we've never seen him since. So, oh, well, but I, I really, at, at the time, I thought he was going to be the next I don't know. I don't know who our who our go to best reliever of all time would be, but I thought he was going to put his name up in that. Chad Bradford. Yeah, sure. I thought he was going to be the next Chad Bradford. Felt really good about that. Maybe the next Alan Embry. Give him a little yeah. bit more than that. Maybe Mike Timlin. By the way, Mike Timlin was nails. Like we don't talk about this enough, but you want to just feel safe with a with a late inning lead. Like I don't think Mike Timlin gave up a single run in in 04. Totally agree. I, I was I was a big Embry Embry guy. I'm glad you mentioned him first. With Matt, I've got one more here. Oh, okay. I've got yep, my, my fault. I've got my, this is, I guess, the fifth pick. Uh, I'm going to go with, I think this guy's going to be on your list. I'm going to go with Jesse Hyman. So I might be pronouncing that last name wrong, but known as the most famous extra in movie history. So you guys definitely don't know the name, but you would recognize the face 100% if you go look this guy up. It's spelled H-E-I-M-A-N. So he has one of the greatest filmographies of all time. He's been in American Pie. He's been in Austin Powers. He's been in Van Wilder, Old School, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The O.C., Social Network, Parks and Rec, Super Bowl commercials. The list goes on and on and on. He's kind of this like, you know, fat little pudgy kid with curly hair. Again, you would definitely recognize him from from 100 different things, but he is a famed Texas State Bobcat. How do you spell that? Uh, Jesse, G-J-E-S-S-E. Last name is H-E-I-M-A-N. I'm assuming that's pronounced Hyman. You yeah. recognize him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy is yeah. in everything. I mean, this, he's, yep. he's in literally everything. Wow. How about so, that? 
That's a good get. Yeah, I like that, Matt. Uh, I didn't see him on the list. Uh, I did have a different movie star, or a director, I guess. Um, okay. Thomas Carter, who yep. was the director of a movie called Coach Carter. No relation, though. It's just a coincidence. Okay, fair. Uh, and that's just that's just a heck of a film, and that's the only note I have on that. Okay, and I, in terms of, you have any honorable mentions, or I've got a couple. I had Lyndon B. That was it. You, you got him. Oh, he was on honorable mentions. Okay, interesting. Uh, good well, I only had four total, in. and if, if there's any that aren't named, those become my honorable mentions, so I don't have gotcha. any. You got them all. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, the other two I want to throw out there, Powers Booth. Uh, he is an actor who is, I believe, recently passed away, but he played President Noah Daniels in the season of 24 Redemption, which is kind mm. of like the the, the reboot. Um, and then Matt, keeping it on the actor, actress side of things, uh, Alexis Texas. Her last name is Texas. That's the only thing that's relevant there. Is that a rapper? Nope. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Let's get into tailgate ability quickly. I, the only reason I bring this up is because We'll be there at the game, Matt. Our, our cutouts will be there. Um, oh, yeah. Should be a great day for football. I can't wait. Um, we'll be interesting to see where they put us. Hopefully, we have a good view. Um, and hopefully, they honor our request that we want to be out, out at Brighton uh, mid-afternoon and they bring us in uh, close to game time. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how many koozies I would send JB and, and the rest of his fellows if they could do that for us. That would really mean a lot. Um, I will say, Matt, from a weather perspective, this one kind of hurts because if we at least factor just the new schedule we have, this should be our first tailgate of the year. And I literally cannot imagine better weather for a uh, late September football game. High of 80 at the start of tailgate, drops to 74 at kickoff, ends the game in the in the high 60s. So even under the lights game, mostly sunny throughout the entire day. I mean, this is like literally what, what Brighton heaven is made of. So it absolutely is just like an absolute... Uh, kick in the groin that we can't be there to enjoy it. Again, obviously there are there are more important things right now, like the world beating this virus. But this is maybe the most angry I've ever been at this virus, with the fact that we can't be out there tailgating in this picture perfect football day. Hundred percent. The tailgate always you know kicks it up a notch too when you're undefeated, which we are. Um, right. So it's just a shame all around. I'm totally with you there, Matt. All right, we got about ten minutes left in the show. Let's talk a little bit of football here. There's not a lot to talk about Texas State. Or is there, Matt? Because I've watched every single minute of their game so far, I'm pretty sure. And these guys are absolute weapons on the offensive side of the football. Well, I'll say this. I've heard a lot of people say that they are the best one and two team in the country. I don't know if you agree with that based on your film study, but that's Mm -hmm. definitely kind of the impression I'm getting from a lot of the national writers. Matt, they are one of the best offenses, I think, in football history um, or football in general history, not just college football. So, So backing it up a little bit. Like I said, they've kind of been a cellar dweller uh, recently, but as of last year, that they hired, they made a really good hire with Coach Jake Spavital. He's this 35-year-old guy. You guys probably know the name. He, he had a stacked resume. He led some of the top high-powered offenses at West Virginia, Texas A&M, uh, mentored quarterbacks like Geno Smith, Johnny Menzel, Will Greer. List goes on. Um, so he's been he's been kind of an up-and-comer and, and well thought of as, as an offensive mind and. You know, has a lot of uh, you know quality coaches that he's learned learned the ropes from. So they're in the Sun Belt, which has been more like the Fun Belt this season, Matt. Uh, you guys remember? More, I've heard that too. Everyone's saying that. You guys remember Week One? Uh, the Sun Belt had three big, uh, three huge upsets over the Big Twelve. Uh, it was Louisiana over Iowa State, Arkansas State over Kansas State, and the Chanticleers, who we talk about every episode. It seems like uh, over to, over Kansas. I would argue we talk about the Chanticleers. More than we talk about BC, and I, I just don't understand really what our allure is there. But Keeps I guess they're, they're in the. I feel like I feel like there is an open market for Chanticleers podcast. So I guess credit to us for attacking that. I agree with you, Matt. 
So like you said, they are one and two. They had tight losses to SMU and the UTSA uh, Roadrunners before getting in the win column this past Saturday. They took care of Louisiana Monroe, 38-17. to You know, through their first two games, I, I saw those live because there was nothing else on, and they can really move the ball. They're averaging 429 yards per game. They have two quarterbacks. I think both, either or, have COVID at any given time, it seems like. Tyler Vitt and Brady McBride. And Brady McBride might be the most football name I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> Texts forever. Um, he's a transfer from Memphis. It sounds like no matter who's under center, both of them are quality guys. Fitz a dual threat, and McBride just slings it around. So they also have a two-headed rushing attack. And if you read the Texas State rushing uh, or Texas State message boards, those it's the best rushing attack they've had ever, which I don't think says a whole lot. I've been spending a lot of time in the Texas State message board, Matt. Probably too much. Yeah, I was gonna say, what is the uh, what's like the general uh, what's the traffic look like on that? There are there a lot of posters or just like one guy kind of talking into a void? It's talking a lot like you, I guess. It's a lot like it, it's a lot like rivals where it's the same eight guys that just talk yep. about nonsense the whole time. Not like Eagle Insider though. That's the, a good message board. That's right. Our guys are twenty four seven. Really are smart posters, and I love those guys. Can't say enough good things. Absolutely. So more importantly, they have uh, elite receivers, and I say elite. If if you guys watch these games, I mean. The two guys that they have, I don't, I didn't write their names down, but they made just highlight real catch after highlight real catch, um, and, and that really drives the bus for their offense. Um, and just to, just to wrap this up, defensively, they've given up a ton of points to a lot of bad teams. It also sounds like their D line has key players out due to COVID and or other other injuries. So there's going to be a mismatch in the trenches. Our offensive line will get back on board here, um, but their offense is not to be trifled with. But we can put a lot of points up against this defense. Yeah, I, I don't have a, a ton to add. I, I don't think they're terrible. Like you said, I think we've certainly had easier, you know, buy games. And I think, I mean, I guess Ohio actually wasn't going to be that bad. But in terms of our, our call it our FCS game, I obviously know these guys are not FCS. This is going to be one of the more difficult ones. But again, I think that's just wildly relative. Like these guys aren't Holy Cross, but they're also not even, you know, pick who our easiest ACC game is this year, Wake Forest or Syracuse or something like that. These definitely, guys definitely still, Syracuse. You think they're better than Syracuse? Probably, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I was going to say that they wouldn't even they wouldn't even you know put up a fight there, but we'll see. Uh, I I'm really not overly concerned. Again, their offense has looked good, but against pedestrian opponents at best, and our defense I think is again the real deal. I really don't expect a lot of trouble here. I think the other thing too, Matt, that's helpful is again getting this game early in, in Halfley's tenure. I think that if you're a seasoned coach and you've done this you know ten years in a row. I think it's probably a lot easier to not be ready to go or not have your guys fired up. But I imagine this early in the tenure, you know, every game for him is is pretty much like the Super Bowl. Um, so I certainly don't think these guys will be able to come in and, and sneak a lot of things on us. Of course, now they have, you know, film on us, but I, I don't see any way, you know, any any low level FBS defense can stop the offense that we saw um, last Saturday. So I, I really Halfley, think that we also said they went pretty vanilla. Uh, yeah, if you, if you can believe right. that. Uh, no uh, trick plays or anything like that, right? Which yeah. we, I think that was a certainty, especially in the opener. So, I, yeah, I, I think that we are just echelons better than them. I expect them to score a few more times because, again, their offense isn't awful. But I also expect the twos to get some serious playing time here. So I think that they'll have a chance to kind of late in the game get in the end zone a couple times. But uh, I'll just go right into my score prediction because I don't have a lot to add, like I said. But I say BC in a very comfortable runaway Another three or four TDs for Jerk. I'm going to say something like BC 45, Texas State 17. Wow. We are spot on. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with it there, Matt. I'm not – I'd say on the on the concern meter, I'm probably a four. 
which I don't, that doesn't really mean anything. So what, is that, what is that relative, relative, or relative to? I'm giving you, you no that, benchmarks please? to base that on. It's just throwing out numbers. Um, you didn't even say like out of 10. I think you just said it's just a four. Yeah, I don't know, Matt. I mean, the bottom line, this is a team that, I mean, they hung with a solid, I'll, I'll say solid, I don't really know. SMU, they won 10 games or something last year. A solid SMU team. They hung with them for three and a half quarters. Very easily could have won that game. They have playmakers on offense, and I don't think this is going to happen. But if we're reading our press clippings and there's a couple of bad bounces, this could get more interesting than we want it to be. I'll just say that. With that said, I don't think Halfley's going to let that happen. He's not going to let the Eags overlook these guys. The D keeps it rolling. Bailey and the O-line have a big day. Zay Flowers can just run go routes and probably have 300 yards and five touchdowns. We take it 53-18. to 18. Yeah, pretty much again, right on the number. So I think we're we're both having BC cover comfortably. What's it down to, like 17 and a half right now? I think? Yeah, I saw it at 17. Okay. Um, so we'll go 2-0 and against the spread. We'll go 2-0 and in, in real life as well. So I think we're we're feeling good. Matt, you got anything else to add? Or are you ready to uh, to wrap it up? Well, no, I, I just think it'll be interesting and not to look ahead, but the, the, the UNC matchup is looming. That's obviously mm-hmm. the following week. And, um, you know, I keep saying it. All we got to do is finish second. UNC could very well be in our way at the end of the year. I don't want to overstate or overreact how important this game could be. Um, but I do hope we, we get ahead early and, you know, we leave some stuff sort of in the playbook to, to break out against UNC because I think we'll need it against those guys on both sides of the football. Yeah, assuming we both come out victorious this weekend, I mean, that's just going to be like a marquee matchup in, in week three or I guess week four. Game day. Uh, two undefeated teams. Game day. I mean, it's Maybe. a 3-30 game. It's possible. Well, also, no, because the, the SEC is back, so I'm uh, sure they'll right. default to, right. to something there. But right. um, the, the national televised 3-30, I assume if we both win, it'll probably go to ABC. But even if it's on NBC, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But, Matt, let's take care of business first. We're playing a really good one and two team. Uh, in the Bobcats some, this weekend. Some say the best, one and two teams. Some, everyone's saying the best, honestly. Um, thanks again for listening, everyone. Should be hopefully a smooth road to 2-0 and on Saturday because this team is that good. doesn't really matter who's standing in our way right now, especially someone from the fun belt. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 4th and Dude. I think we're officially handing the keys of the Instagram over to Sylvia this weekend, so tune in for that. Uh, he's an excellent uh, content maker, so I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff there. Thanks he's again got, to all he's got of like our, a billion followers, too. That's going to be great for our brand. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, Armchair, Eagle Insider 247, Bet Online, Manscaped. Matt, I'll just say it's so fun to root for one of the best teams in the country. And this may sound crazy, but I think I'm officially ready to say it. The road to 14-0 is fully on. Get in, folks. Get in, folks.